We'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're very grateful for your presence. We're thankful for the beautiful songs that we've been privileged to sing. We're grateful to Billy for leading us in these songs today. We're also thankful for the prayer that was offered by Brother James Houston a moment ago, the scripture reading, and now for the opportunity to read and study from God's Word. I would mention very quickly that those who stayed this morning enjoyed a great lunch. We appreciate all the ladies and those who prepared food. The food was, it was excellent. The fellowship was great. And if anyone left here hungry, well, that was your fault because there was a lot of food. And it was really, really good. It did look like a herd of locusts came through, though. Toward the end, I looked, and a lot of the, a lot of the dishes had been uh, cleaned. And so I know that you enjoyed the food very, very much. I do invite you to come back and be with us tomorrow night through Wednesday night. This is somewhat unusual in the sense that I'm doing the preaching. Typically, when you have a gospel meeting, you bring somebody in. And I am humbled and honored to have the opportunity to be a part of this gospel meeting. And I hope that the things that are said this week are beneficial to you. And I hope that they will encourage you and inspire you to live as God would have you to live. Tonight in our study, we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And we think about the theme, the danger of a lukewarm Christian. Now, I would freely grant that 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 might be somewhat of an unusual text in relationship to this particular study. Typically, individuals will look at the church at Laodicea because the Laodiceans were known as a lukewarm congregation. But I want us to look at it from a positive vantage point because I really believe that if we will take to heart what Paul says... In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, then we will not fall into the pitfall of being a lukewarm Christian. So with that in mind, in verse 58, Paul said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. The first thing that I want us to think about as we look at this lesson text has to do with our faithfulness to the Lord. When we talk about our faithfulness to the Lord, obviously we are emphasizing our steadfastness. The idea that we are, as Paul would say, steadfast and immovable in the faith. In order for us to appreciate our faithfulness to the Lord, I think one of the things that would maybe help us would be to to see firsthand our relationship to the Lord. What kind of relationship do we sustain to Almighty God and to Jesus Christ, His Son? Well, in 1 Corinthians, there are a number of statements made that I believe give us insight into the great relationship that we enjoy with the Lord. Number one, I would suggest that we are the saved. You know, there are a lot of great things that... that accompany being a child of God. But let me tell you what, 
the greatest blessing associated with, with being a child of God is the fact that you are among the saved. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in chapter 15 and verses 1 through 4, he identifies the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And he said he made known to these people the gospel wherein they had received this message and thus had become among the saved. Now if you go back to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 18, we read of Paul laboring among these people for some 18 months. He spent 18 months teaching and preaching the gospel to those in the city of Corinth. Corinth, as you well know, was a hub for immorality. You can read chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and you get insight into the immoral lifestyle of many of those, immoral lifestyles of many of those who lived in the city itself. But in Acts 18, verse 8, the, the inspired historian Luke says that many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. They were baptized into Christ so that their sins might be washed away. I referenced just a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. He goes on to say, Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers. But then he said, And such were some of you. But you were washed. Why were they washed? Well, they were washed so that their sins might be removed or remitted, so that they might be cleansed and redeemed from the power of sin. And so that's what Luke is talking about in Acts 18, verse 8. Here were people that had come out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. When, when Paul wrote to the saints in Colossae, he talked about how individuals are delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And he said, it's in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So here were people that were among the saved. When we talk about our faithfulness to the Lord, the fact that we are to be steadfast, and as we underscore this point by noting our relationship to the Lord, first and foremost, we are among the saved. But then secondly, not only are we to be among the saved, but we are among the sanctified. Now back in chapter 1 verse 2, again when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said that they had been sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word sanctify means to be set apart and it really has to do with our relationship to the Lord. We have been set apart from the world unto God. When, when we obeyed the gospel, there was a change that took place, a transferal of ownership, if you please. We talk about being redeemed by the blood of Christ. Those who are in the world, they are under the domain of Satan. Satan is called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Well, we have been delivered out of the power of darkness, as Paul said, and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We now belong to the Lord. When Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Those of us who have been sanctified in Christ, we enjoy a great relationship with the Lord. We are among the saved, but we are also 
among the sanctified. We've been set apart from the world unto God. And thus, we are to live for His glory. We are to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to Almighty God. There's another term that Paul uses to describe those who belong to the Lord. And that is we are called saints in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 2. Now there are a lot of people in our world today, they will sometimes make the remark, well, I'm no saint. Listen, if you're a child of God, if you've been baptized into Christ, you are a saint. You have been sanctified in Christ and you are called a saint. Our relationship is based on, is predicated on the fact that we have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are His people. We belong to His body. We are among the redeemed. And so we have been saved, we have been sanctified, we are called saints, and then also I would suggest that we are servants. Now again, we talk about our faithfulness to the Lord. We need to envision ourselves as servants of the Most High God. And we're going to talk in just a moment about our responsibilities to the Lord. When Paul wrote his second letter to the church at Corinth, he said, We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Do you envision yourself as a servant of God? Do you realize that if you've been baptized into Christ, if you have been added to the body of Christ, you are a servant of the Most High God? That you are a servant of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? You have the distinct privilege of being a servant in the kingdom of Almighty God. Now, having said that, we talk about our relationship to the Lord. What about our responsibilities to the Lord? I said just a moment ago that as servants, and there's a correlation here, in our relationship and our responsibilities. As a servant of Almighty God, Paul would say, we are stewards. What is a steward? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, at verse 2, Paul said, Moreover, that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. What about my responsibility as a steward to the Most High God? There are three areas of stewardship that I believe we need to consider. Number one, we are stewards of the time that we have here upon this earth. How long, how long do you plan to live here upon this earth? Well, the fact of the matter is we really don't know, do we? The psalmist said the days of our years may be three score and ten. He said it may, it may be the case that you and I live to be four score years of age. We may live to be 70. We may live to be 80. But he said there is strength, sorrow, and labor. It is soon cut off and we fly away. And the bottom line is this. Life is very brief. James compared it to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away in James 4 verse 14. Job said man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. We, we only have a very brief tenure upon this earth. I understand that we may live to be 70, 80, 90 years of age. I have an aunt who is in very frail health, and she just recently turned 90 years of age. And to be very frank, I don't expect her to see 91 because of the frailty of her health. But 90 years is very brief in light of eternity. Now Paul said that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. How are you using your time for God? We talk about our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We, we understand our relationship, but what about our responsibilities to the Lord? You and I only have a limited amount of time here upon planet Earth, and so we have to, we have to do our dead-level best to use every ounce of energy and every minute of every day, of every month, of every year. We need to use it productively for the cause of Christ. Listen, if you would, to the psalmist in Psalm 90, verse 12. He said, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom, to understand that we're only here for a brief period of time. How are you using the time that God has given you here upon this earth? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. We need to buy it up to use it in a prudent way. So we are stewards of our time, but also we are stewards of our talents. I don't know what all talents you may possess in your life. I know one thing, that all of us, to some extent or another, have been blessed with talents or abilities, if you want to use that term. James said, every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, in James 1.17. God has endowed you with certain unique talents or abilities that you can use for His good and His glory. Now here's the question. As a steward of Almighty God, how are you using your talents for the glory of God. Are you using your talents for the glory of God? Within the body of Christ, and the church is composed of many members, but as Paul would say, but one body. You have one body, but you have all of these members. And all of these members can use or blend their talents or their abilities together for the ultimate good of the cause of Christ. So how are we using the talents that God has blessed us with? Wouldn't it be terrible to, to be endowed with great abilities that could be used or could be harnessed for the cause of Christ? Wouldn't it be terrible to have those abilities and to sit on them? I remember many years ago when I was living in Chattanooga, my dad talked to me about a man that was a gospel preacher in that area. And this man had a lot of problems and later left the church. But I remember my dad making a statement about this man that I have never forgotten. He said, this man could without a doubt be the finest preacher in the city of Chattanooga if he wanted to be. He had that kind of ability. Well, there are a lot of people that have abilities. Maybe you have the ability, ability to teach. Maybe you have the ability to encourage Maybe you have the ability to, to lift up those who are faint-hearted, to inspire others. Maybe you have the ability to, to network and to, to evangelize. There are so many unique abilities that each and every one of us possess. But we have to use those abilities if God is going to be pleased with us and if we're going to ultimately bring Him glory. A third area that I believe we are stewards over has to do with our treasures. All of us, to some extent or another, possess certain things here upon this earth. One, one, of, the, one of the things that has been, I believe, pawned off on our society is that the measure of a man, the measure of a person, is based on his or her bank account or what they possess, materially speaking. Now here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26. He said, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
Everything that you have, materially speaking, all the money that you have in the bank, your stocks, your bonds, your CDs, whatever it may be, when it's all said and done, if we were to cut to the chase, the bottom line is this. You are just a steward of that. You're just a steward of those things. How do I know that? Because Job said, naked came I into this world, and naked shall I depart. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's what Paul said. We brought nothing into this world. Listen to him. It is certain we can carry nothing out. You're not going to take anything out of this world into the next world. That's why Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Now Paul said that that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. When I think about the material blessings that God has lavished upon us, and by the way, we are the wealthiest nation in the world. True, we have debt problems, indebtedness in this country. And it is a result of foolish spending. It is a result of foolish spending on the part of our government and on the part of the American taxpayers, the citizens of this country. Far too many homes all across the landscape of this nation have unfortunately spent more than they make, and so they are upside down in debt. But just think about the things that we possess, the monetary means that we have. We can use the money and the material blessings that God has lavished upon us for the furtherance of the gospel, if we'll only be a good steward of that. So, our responsibilities to the Lord. What you and I have to understand is that, that we are going to give an account unto Almighty God as stewards for our time, our talents, and our treasures. There's a second thing I would call your attention to as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because Paul had said, be you steadfast, immovable. That has to do with our faithfulness to the Lord, our steadfastness, the fact that we are in this thing for the long haul. We're not going away. We're not giving up. We're not going to give up. We're not going to give in, and we're not going to give out. But secondly, what about our fruitfulness for the Lord? This has to do with our service. Now, Paul said, be you steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Did you note what Paul said? Always, A-L-W-A-Y-S, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Did you know that you and I as God's people are to be faithful and fruitful for the cause of Christ? Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. God is interested in us bearing fruit as his children. Now Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. If you're not bearing fruit as a child of God, well, let me tell you what, it is evident in your life. And not, not only is it evident by your peers, it is evident by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is a fruit inspector. He knows all, he sees all. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, Proverbs 15 at verse 3. The first thing I want to talk to you about has to do with the danger. 
There are some inherent dangers associated with being a child of God. The inherent danger is that we can become so caught up in the world and the things of the world that we lose sight of our relationship and our responsibilities to the Lord. And thus we become, as Jesus would say, lukewarm Christians. I want you to think for just a moment about at least three things I think can plague us as God's people if we're not, if we're not careful. Number one, it has to do with indifference. Now in Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus peered into the church at Laodicea, and I would remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who searches the reins and hearts, according to chapter 2, verse 22 of the book of Revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ sees all and he knows all. The Lord can peer into the heart of a Christian. He can peer into every congregation. And he can see where that individual stands, where that congregation stands. What about the problem of indifference? Well, indifference is nothing more than lukewarmness. There are several terms that could be used to identify a lukewarm Christian. We talk about apathy. We talk about lethargy. Those are real problems within the body of Christ. When Jesus looked at the church at Laodicea, he said that the problem that was confronting that congregation, he said, you're not cold and you're not hot. He said, I could, I could wish that you were cold or hot. In other words, make, make a decision. Get off the fence post. Either be cold or hot. And the word hot there means hot to the point of boiling. Cold means extreme coldness. But he said, you're not cold, you're not hot, you are lukewarm, you are tepid, you are apathetic, you are lethargic. Did you know that that can, can be a problem among God's people? That we can become lukewarm in our relationship to the Lord? How do you think the Lord views a lukewarm, indifferent Christian? Let me tell you how he views a lukewarm, indifferent Christian. Spelled out in Revelation chapter 3. Here's what the Lord said to that church. He said, I will spew you out of my mouth. The point that I get from that statement is the Lord is not happy when we are not fervent in his service when we are not all consumed in our relationship to him. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The word first means before anything else. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness before anything else? Now, when we talk about lukewarmness or apathy or lethargy, there, there are several applica applications. But let me, just, let me just make this observation. If we're not fervent in our love for the Lord, if our heart is not in this thing 100%, then the bottom line is, we're in trouble with the Lord. 
our attitude and our actions reflect whether or not we are on fire for the Lord or lukewarm in the Lord's sight. We had a great number of people here this morning, and there were some people that were here from out of town, and we're grateful for that. But you see, there are some people who have a chronic problem, and that chronic problem is, and I I well understand that really they need to hear this Sunday morning, but they're not here. And the reason they're not here, may be, it may be sickness, it may be they have professional obligations in the realm of work. There may be legitimate reasons why they are not back here on Sunday night. But there are some people, when it's all said and done, the bottom line is they don't want to come back. They're not interested in coming back and worshiping God and being with the people of God. Why? Because they are lukewarm or apathetic in their faith. And if you know somebody in that condition, I would encourage you to call them and plead with them to get off the fence of indifference. Here's what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 12 at verse 30, Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me. You're either 100% in or you're out. If you're not 110% into the work of Almighty God, and into the fellowship of Almighty God, then there's a problem. Listen again to Paul. He said, Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We talk about indifference. A second problem is inconsistent. That is, inconsistencies in the lives of those who claim to be children of God. In James chapter 3, one of the best examples I know has to do with the tongue. Where James talks about, out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. He said, on the one hand, you bless God the Father. On the other hand, you curse man. And here's what James concluded. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Is your life consistent when it comes to your Christianity? Do you say one thing and do another? Jesus is interested in people who are consistent in their behavior. Now, does that mean we're not going to make mistakes? Absolutely not. We're not perfect people. We're striving to the best of our ability to do our dead level best every day. John said in 1 John 1, verse 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. As long as we're striving to walk in the light, to walk in harmony with the will of God, we maintain an ongoing relationship with the Lord. His blood is constantly availing in our lives. Here's the problem. I've said this before and I'll say it again because I believe it bears repeating. We say we do not believe the doctrine that has been promulgated by those in the denominational world that goes like this. Once saved, always saved. And we say that, and we we say we believe that, that, that a person is not once saved, always saved, because the Scriptures don't teach that. For example, in Galatians 5, 4, Paul talks about how you have fallen from grace. If a person takes his eyes off of Jesus and no longer walks within the light of God's pathway, then he or she is severed from fellowship with the Lord. 
John said, whoever, whoever goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. That is, the idea is, if we're not walking within the doctrine, within the precepts of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, then our relationship is not intact. But we say we don't believe the doctrine once saved, always saved. The problem is not in our belief system. The problem is in our practice. We say we don't believe that, but then we go out and do as we please. And by that I simply mean we say that the doctrine once saved, always saved is false. It is false. Why then do we not practice faithfulness to Almighty God? Why are we inconsistent in the way we live? Why do we say one thing and do another? Why do we use profanity? Why do we engage in certain behaviors that are unbecoming of a child of God? We talk about inconsistency. I think about parents. When, when our children observe our behavior, they are like sponges. If our children see us drinking and smoking and using bad language and doing things that are unbecoming of a child of God, do you not think that they, that they see that and make a notation of that? And then sometimes years pass and we wonder why our children are not faithful to the Lord. Let me tell you why they're not faithful to the Lord. Because it may be the case that they saw us living an inconsistent life. We have to be faithful to the Lord. The Lord is interested in consistency. Look at the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus chided them. He delivered a series of woes to them in Matthew chapter 23. And one of the reasons was because Matthew records, they say and do not. They said one thing and did another. What about us? When we say we are children of God, we belong to the body of Christ, we, we have our home in heaven awaiting us, do we live like that? Let me give you a third danger, I believe, that we face as children of God. It has to do with impurity. If we're not careful, the world can encroach upon our Christian values. And let me just say this, in far too many places, the world has made inroads in the lives of God's people. And the fact of the matter is, when you look at some people who claim to be Christians, the, the bottom line is this. They don't measure up because they have become worldly in their behavior. Their speech and their actions betray them. James said in James chapter 4, You adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Think for a moment about the dating process. We talk about courtship and we talk about Choosing a, a person to marry. Typically, the way that, that operates is we become friends with somebody. And that relationship is nurtured, and as a result of friendship, it leads to courtship and to love. Well, look at how this works from a spiritual vantage point. James said the danger is that we can become friendly with the world. And he said those who are friendly with the world, they set themselves at odds with Almighty God. They're at variance with God in James 4.4. 4. In 1 John 2, verse 15, John said, Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. It could very well be the case if we're not careful, we can fall in love with the world. 
Do you not know that Satan is using the world to appeal to allure, to, uh, to allure us? The, give the devil his due. The devil has done a tremendous job making the world appealing and appetizing to those of us who live here on planet Earth. There are a lot of people in the, in the Lord's church that have been taken captive by the devil to do his will, as Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. They're living an impure life. Now we talk about the danger, but let me just very quickly share with you our, our duty, the demand. The demands of the Lord. What is it the Lord demands of me? Well, again, we look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. He wants us to always abound in the work of the Lord. Two things. Number one, we have to be a willing servant, a willing worker. The Lord is interested in us acquiescing our will to his will. Paul would say, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, if there is first a willing mind. Jesus said in John 7, verse 17, if any man wills to do his will, you and I, we decide whether or not we're going to become a follower of Almighty God. We also decide whether or not we're going to sign on and be a faithful servant of his. It begins with being a willing worker, a willing servant. But then also... We have to be working servants. And, and again, we look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Paul said, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The Lord wants us to be active, to be engaged. We have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And the idea is that it is characteristic of a child of God to want to be working, to want to be laboring, to want to be serving in the kingdom of God. Look at Jesus. Jesus was the greatest servant that ever lived. He typified servanthood. And Jesus asked this question, is the servant above his master? We claim to be his followers. We claim to be his disciples. Are we willing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and be a servant? Look, if you would, at the book of Titus. In Titus chapter 2, verse 7, the apostle Paul talks about how we are to be a pattern of good works. In chapter 2, verse 14 of that same book, he said we are to be zealous of good works. In chapter 3, verse 1, he said we are to be ready unto every good work. In chapter 3, verse 8, he said be careful to maintain good works. You get the theme here. You get the idea. We are to be active, always abounding in what? In the work of the Lord. Do we have hobbies and interests outside the Lord's church? Absolutely. Do we have things that we enjoy doing? Of course we do. But first and foremost, we need to be dedicated disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are three areas of involvement in the work of the church. Number one, evangelism. Now, I said just a moment ago that there is the danger of being a lukewarm Christian. Go back and look at the early church. The, here, here were people in the church at Laodicea that had become lukewarm or apathetic in their faith to Almighty God. That wasn't characteristic of every person who belonged to the body of Christ in the first century. As a matter of fact, when I look at the first century church, I see people that were busy and active in the kingdom of God. Here were people that you could not stop. 
serving. You couldn't stop their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. What about evangelism? Look at the early church. Why do you think the early church grew as it did? You ever looked at the numbers of the, of the first century church? 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. The number of disciples increased over and over again. The church was growing. Why was it growing? Because individuals who loved the Lord, who believed in the Lord, who were convicted that those outside the body of Christ, those outside a covenant relationship with the Lord, that they were convicted that those people outside that sphere were without hope and without God in this world. And thus, the need to share the simple teaching of Jesus Christ. We need to become more zealous in our desire to take the gospel to the world. You and I need to share the, the teaching of our Lord with other people. We need to share the love story of the cross with the lost and dying world. Think about all the messages that are, that are out there in this world today. And some of the great things that are going on in our world. And some of the great success stories. Let me tell you what, the greatest story ever told, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was said of Paul and Silas when they went to the city of Thessalonica and were literally run out on a rail. These men that have come here, they're the very ones that have turned the world upside down. What are we doing to turn the world upside down? We talk about the condition of our nation, the immorality, the ungodliness, the unrighteousness, the problems in the home, the problems in our government, on and on and on, the dishonesty. Where does it all end? Well, let me tell you what, we've got the message that can cure all of that. What's the message? It's the gospel. Why then do we not share it? Think about it. You have the greatest message known to man. You can tell other people about Jesus Christ. You can literally link people up with God the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You have the opportunity to sit down with your friends, neighbors, co-workers, schoolmates, whomever. You can sit down with them and talk to them about the fact that Christ died for their sins. You can quote John 3.16 too. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can tell somebody, look, here's what you need to do to become a child of God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Confess his name. Be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. And you will contact the blood of Christ and be added to the body of Christ. You can do that. But you have to be evangelistic. Who have you talked to in the last few days about Jesus? Who have you talked to in the last month about Jesus? If we want the church to grow, if we want to be what they were in the first century, we're going to be evangelistic. We're going to be telling others about Christ. You remember in Acts chapter 4 when the apostles were threatened not to speak at all in the name of Jesus Christ? You remember what they said? We cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. That is conviction. I mean, you talk about courage, but that's conviction. Conviction of heart that says, look, I love the Lord and I want people to go to heaven with me. Evangelism. Edification. Building one another, another up. I will freely grant we are built up through a study of the Word of God. Acts 20, verse 28. But we can also build one another up by bearing one another's burdens in Galatians 6, verse 10. We can be an encouragement to others. We can edify one another. We can be strengthened in the faith. And then there is effective benevolence. That is, taking what we have been blessed with and sharing it. As Paul said in Galatians 6 verse 10, 
As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them which are the household of faith, sharing what we have. Someone has said, and I believe to be the case, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And sometimes the way to a person's spiritual heart is through their physical stomach. Feed them, help them, encourage them, and then teach them the gospel. But be evangelistic. And let me just, let me, let me just ask this question. We talk about the three works of the church, evangelism, edification, and effective benevolence. What area are you involved in right now? What are you doing to advance to promote the cause of Christ? Paul said, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let me just, let me just be dead level honest with you. There are some folks in the body of Christ, can't count on them. It may be the case that you're here tonight. And if we left you the keys to this building, it wouldn't be open on a weekly basis. Why? Because we can't count on you. Because you're not involved in evangelism. You're not involved in benevolence. You're not involved in edification. I will freely grant there are reasons why some people cannot be as actively involved as they would like. Health for one. But let me tell you what, don't give me that crutch of you can't do this or you can't do that in the body of Christ and then you run all over town and do this and do that. Don't tell me that. And don't try to tell the Lord that either. The bottom line is this, you're going to be faithful and productive in the kingdom of God or as Jesus said, he'll spew you out of his mouth. If you don't think the Lord means business when it comes to service in the kingdom of God, let me tell you what, he means for us to be involved. Paul wrote the commandments of the Lord. I think sometimes we have the idea we, we can just come in, float in, float out, do what we want. That's not the way Christianity operates. I think sometimes we, we just have to tell it straight. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. And my goal is to tell you the truth of Almighty God. Paul asked the question, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Let me tell you what, if we miss heaven, if you miss heaven because of something that I do not say, then God will hold me responsible. When you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, I want you to be able to say, I want you to be able to say, listen, I heard it straight. I heard what God expected of me in this life. Very quickly and thirdly, our faithfulness to the Lord, our fruitfulness for the Lord, and our future with the Lord. Paul said, Be ye steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. There is before all of us who belong to the body of Christ what is called the Stephanos. The victor's crown. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Jesus said be faithful until death. That is in the face of death you be faithful. And Here's the promise. I will give unto you the crown of life. There is a crown of life awaiting every faithful child of God. Those of us who are abounding in the work of the Lord. Now let me just ask this question. When we engage in the work of the church, is it a burden to be born or is it, as the writers in the New Testament say, a labor of love? 
If you view the work of the church, if, you've, if you view your service in the kingdom of God as a burden to be borne, what I want to do is try to encourage you to move from it being a burden to a labor of love. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, the Bible says, God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. Christianity ought to be a labor of love. I know that there are people in this, in this assembly tonight who have a love affair with college football. I could, I could identify a couple, of, a couple of teams. I see Lee has on, looks like an Alabama shirt. Not, not Alabama, but anyway. The, bo- the bottom line is this, there are, there are people, they are in love with their team. And that, that's fine, I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoy athletics. Why do you think those people will sit out when it's raining, sleeting, snowing, and watch a football game? I've seen, I've seen people on, on a professional level, when, when the playoffs start, I've seen people in Green Bay sit out on a cold metal bench, and the temperature is three degrees. Let me tell you what. I may love the Green Bay Packers, but I'm not sitting on a cold bleacher at three degrees. I don't care who's, I don't care if Elvis Presley's there. I'm not going to be there. It's too cold. But there are people that will fill the sands. Why? Because they love, they love the Packers. They love the Crimson Tide. They love their team. Listen, when we truly love the Lord, it's not a matter of do I have to go to worship. It's I want to be at worship. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to be with the people of God. When, when it's a labor of love, it's not, do I have, to, do I have to, to go and visit brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, or do I have to sit down and talk to somebody about Christ? It's not about that. We do it because we love doing it, because there is this burning desire in our heart to do everything we can to promote the cause of Christ, because it's a labor of love. Think about how much you love your children. We talk, we talk about unconditional love, the love that we have for our, I don't know, there's just something about a child. Somebody who's bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. We love that child. We want to be around that child. That's the way it ought to be with, when it comes to our Lord. We ought to want to be with our Lord. We ought to want to be with His people. We ought to want to be involved in, in His service. Let me tell you what, you are a servant of the King. You're out here on behalf of Almighty God. You remember Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he said, Mine eyes have seen the King. When you have a love affair with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you will want to be involved. You'll want to be in worship. You'll want to be telling other people about Jesus Christ because it's in your DNA. It's a part of your fabric. Now, Paul said... When we always abound in the work of the Lord, we know our labor is not vain. And I take it to mean that when we render a life of faithful service to the Lord, we have before us the hope of heaven. Let me ask you tonight, do you have before you the hope of heaven? Paul said that we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before, life, before time began. God is preparing for us an eternal abiding place, according to John 14. And Jesus said, He will come again. He's coming as a thief in the night. What we want to do is make sure that we're living in such a way so that when He comes, here's what we hear. 
Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. We've labored for the cause of Christ. We did it because we loved him. We did it because we wanted to do it. Those of us who are trying to live for the Lord, we have a great future. There are a lot of great things on the horizon in your life. No doubt, if the Lord spares your life. We, we talk about some of the privileges and opportunities and great things that, that, that lie ahead. The greatest thing we have to look forward to is heaven. To be in a place where death will be no more. Where no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. All these things are gone. We don't have to deal with sin anymore. It's behind us. Let me close by asking this question. How's your spiritual life? Are you living for the Lord? Are you steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? If not, could I plead with you to come home? The remedy set before the Laodiceans, repent. Change your mind, change your heart, change your direction. That's all you have to do. Repent, come back to God. Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and you're not a child of God. Here's what you need to do. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. Confess His name before others, that you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and then be immersed in a watery grave of baptism and rise to walk in newness of life, knowing that every sin has been washed away. And then just live faithfully. If you're here tonight and you're... You're subject to the Master's invitation. We encourage you to come as we stand and sing.